then the thing that really sets me off is, well, once we have a vaccine, then everything will go back to normal. normal. And I say, you mean like the flu vaccine that's 8% effective? Doesn't work. I catch if, I a, if I had a brake pad manufacturing company for cars and my brake pads were 8% effective, I would be out of business. George Floyd was not taken out because he was black. George Floyd was taken out because he was owed major drug money by Derek Shaven. When you're making vaccines that are 8% effective for the flu that you have to change every year, which by the way, give most people that take them the flu. Food. And you're going to tell me that this new, and they can't sue, you can't sue them for this without going through the VAERS court, which is a joke. And you're going to tell me that once we have a untested, brand new rush through vaccine, then everything is going to go back to normal. Good luck with that. I'll tell you what, they're going to test it in Africa like they're doing, kill a bunch of Africans, pay them off a thousand dollars per person, which is the maximum that they have to spend if they kill somebody. So they already know that because it's way cheaper to kill them there than kill them here found out what the Chinese Communist Party, the Red Dragon, is doing to these people and have been doing to these people for the last 20 years in China, sending hundreds and thousands of innocent Falun Gong practitioners, Uyghur Muslims, house Christians, and Tibetan Buddhists. Particularly 95% of um, the victims of Falun Gong practitioners to be state-mandated hospitals, concentration camps, death camps, military facilities, uh, military facilities run by the Chinese military at the behest of the, of the highest-ranking officials of the Chinese Communist Party to create a illegal sanctions forced organ harvesting business. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Defender Podcast. We are coming to you from the greatest country in the world, deep in the heart of the Lone Star State, Dallas, Texas. I'm your host, Paul Aguilar. We really appreciate you guys stopping in. If you guys are watching us on YouTube, please make sure you all subscribe and hit that bell icon, um, as well as hit that thumbs up icon as well, so that way you guys can see more of our videos as well. And you can help us out with the algorithms on that as well. Um, if you guys are on the go, you can always find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, as well as iHeartRadio at Truth Defender Podcast. Uh, if you guys want to follow us on social media, you know we can be reached on Twitter at Defender Podcast, Instagram at Truth Defender Podcast, as well as Facebook at Defender Podcast. Uh, we have a Discord and a PayPal as well, which will be linked down below. We really appreciate you guys. If you guys are feeling generous, go ahead and give us a little some, something there so you can help us with the hardware and the software as you know that stuff's not cheap um and also if you guys have any questions or comments for myself or our guests guests or topic recommendations you can also email us at the truth defender 1776 at gmail.com our next guest is an artist biblical paranormal researcher and broadcaster jason mclean's life has been consumed with the study of archaeology cryptozoology, ufology, and astronomy in order to better understand the Bible, its teachings, and the one behind its creation. His passions have prompted him to create society for the investigation and research of the unexplained, Siru, and can be found every Monday at 6.30 p.m. on Texas Front Porch. Uh, you can find him on YouTube as well. That's uh, co-host of Texas Front Porch, uh, like I mentioned, live every Monday at 6.30 p.m. Central Standard Time on the Trinity Paracrypted YouTube channel. Um, you can also find his book, Metroplex Monsters, Dallas Demons, Fort Worth Goatman, and Other Terror of the Trinity River, available on Amazon as well as barnesandnoble.com. We'll have all those linked down below. Without further ado, Mr. Jason McLean, how are you doing, sir? 
Uh, so far, it's good. Follow yourself. Uh, not too bad. Just trying to get situated here, like we were discussing off air. Um, it's pretty crazy times going on as well. Yeah. Uh, with the whole voting thing, but I, you know, that all gets sorted out. Um, but that's uh, neither here nor there. Everybody can, if you guys are want to follow that, you can, you know, you can go on the news or wherever you guys get your information. Um, but today we're going to be talking about some creepy crawlies as well as some other kind of interesting things. Um, just kind of odd. So here in Texas, I'm originally from West Texas, so I'm from El Paso. Okay. Um, so yeah. right there on the Rio, and uh, so we have all kinds of crazy things out there, like La Llorona, and just all yeah. kinds of like weird stuff that you find out there. Um, but I mean, growing up in Texas, I never heard of too many kind of like cryptids and like odd things out yeah. this way, um, especially now that I live he- here in Dallas. Um, I've been here since 2013, so I'm not you know originally from here, but. Um, it's just kind of crazy to really hear anything at all. I mean, what, you know, what kind of stuff are we talking about out here? Well, so that's an interesting question. First of all, I actually have, we do have a Lachusa sighting, actually an assault that happened in Oak Cliff, uh, which is in the southern mm-hmm. side of Dallas. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but that's sort of the thing, right? Uh, we've got just a bit of, not everything per se. Uh, we've got Sasquatch. We've got uh, living pterosaurs. And then we do have a few other uh, physical cryptids uh, that tend to be more aquatic in nature. Uh, Lake Granberry has a one-eye, which is a, an aquatic lake monster. Right. Um, and then we have an interesting sighting, or, you know, that's recorded in the book. Uh, but, you know, there's some interesting sightings out of the Trinity of something that doesn't make sense. Uh, and then, of course, we have giant catfish and giant alligator gar. Um, but then we have paranormal things. You know, everyone's got ghost stories. But then we have things like I mentioned, the Lechusa. Um, we have goat men. We have things that seem to be maybe goat man adjacent, right? right. right. Um, we've got a little bit of everything. Uh, here in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, and it does seem like they shouldn't be here. You know what? The thing is, that was what was in my head when I saw a living pterodactyl when I was 12. I was in DeSoto, Texas, which is literally a suburb of of the city of Dallas. I saw it for 20 years. Even though I believed they were still alive, I didn't think they'd be here. And that's sort of the big thing that's really happened over the last 10 to 15 years is with the rise of the internet, uh, podcasts, podcast shows, a lot of this information is getting out and people are now willing to talk about it. You don't have to dig very hard to find people who've had very bizarre encounters with one of these creatures that I've mentioned. You just have to ask around. It won't, it won't take you long before someone's like, well, yeah. let me tell you about this thing that happened to me. The thing is, it's it, you can't talk about it, right? And that's sort of the big thing. The big pressure is to keep this stuff silent. So no one wants to talk about it. So don't get me wrong. I'm not saying everyone sees one. But the thing is, you don't have to look very hard to find someone who's had some sort of really bizarre experience. And sometimes they do, in, they do end up seeing these creatures. And the thing is, they just know that they can't talk about it. Yeah. So, no, so it, what ends up, no one does. And then you, you're, we're back to where we are right now, where you're like, I can't imagine these creatures being here. Yeah, it's, it's so it's like, I mean, so like I mentioned, I'm, I'm from El Paso. So you hear yeah. stories like all over the place. So I would have like uncles and cousins and stuff like that. And I'm um, especially living out like, like, like out on the ranch and stuff. So like oh, out, yeah. out in the desert, you see things out there. And like my, my father has a story about his dad um, way, way back in the day, like in the fifties or something like that, that mm-hmm. um, they captured what appeared to be a witch 
at the time. So they like wrapped it up like in a sack, left it in the barn. Next morning they came back and there was like a woman inside the sack. So it was originally they had captured, it was an owl. So, Mm -hmm. so they captured it, wrapped it up in a sack, placed it in the barn. And when they came back the next morning, it was a woman. So they, you know, I believe it was a witch, right? So, right, yeah. Um, so that was like way back in the fifties. But I mean, you know, those kind of stories, especially like on the border, you would hear, or, mm-hmm. or at least I would hear a whole bunch of stories like that. Um, and like you just said, like out here, you would think that it's a bigger city, and you wouldn't, you know, really hear too much stuff like that. Um, I was speaking with Dark Waters uh, a few weeks back, and he mm-hmm. was mentioning that there was reports of like. Bigfoot and things like that out this way, um, but like you just mentioned, it, it would it would just seem kind of weird that being like in the big city, so to say, that you would actually see like anything of that, you know, that nature. So, out here. Yeah, yeah. No, so let's talk about that for a second, um, because here's the thing: in many respects, like you're not going to see a Sasquatch in downtown Dallas, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> like you're not going to see one crossing over at uh, Dealey Plaza or anything. Yeah, but. If you were to really look at Dallas, at the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex from a, from a satellite, you'll notice there's a lot of green. Yeah. Basically, what we do is we live on these little concrete islands, right, that are connected by roads and highways, and that's it. Wherever there isn't concrete, what we do, and I talk about this in the, in, in the book, I call it the green wall. Um, just as an aside, like the book is really designed for people maybe they don't really know a lot about cryptozoology or paranormal so it's really designed for an open audience but your audience is going to be a little bit more in tune to this right there are two major uh themes that i think uh your your viewers will find or listeners will find uh very very useful and this is one of them, the green wall right right just stop to think about every road you've ever seen in and around the dallas Worth metroplex well, what do we do well we build a road and of course they're shaped like this right they're sort of concave uh right. or convex, convex, whatever. They're rounded so the rain runs off, right? right? They're designed to get that rain runoff. And then, of course, on the side of the road, it goes down a little bit because, again, we want the rainwater to go to go down and to be channeled away from the roads for safety. Well, what that does is it creates a, this well-watered area. And so you don't have to go very far from the road. There is a tree line that's a perfect straight line because what do we do? We cleared all the trees out of the way up to a point and then we mowed. Well, what that results in is a tree line in a green space where these, where these trees have plenty of water, and then you have this brush that grows up. You have the tall grass that grows and these other brushes and small trees. You can't see into it. Yeah. That's the trick, is next to every road, next to every creek and every, you know, uh, just water runoff stream is this green wall that is impossible to see through. You could have whole armies marching through these green spaces. And if you're on the highway, you can't see it. If you're on a road, you can't see it because you can't see more than two feet into this. Uh, and, and in fact, the where I had my sighting, that creek is, that's in Mile Creek, it is literally 15 or 20 feet into the limestone bedrock. But even today, if you were to walk Unless you, you get into a car and you're on a bridge that crosses over, right. most most areas you're not going to be able to see into that creek because of that because of, of that wall. In fact, I was when I was out taking photos for the book, 
there's a walking path that the city has put in next to it finally. And uh, it doesn't end up making the book per se, but I took photographs and literally, unless you knew for a fact that it was there, all you'd see was greenery. You wouldn't know that, that five feet beyond this line is a 20 foot sheer drop off, but there's no, there's no, there's nothing to protect you because they don't feel the need to do that because it's so thick. You couldn't make it through if you wanted to. Mm. Right. That's, so what we have are these little concrete islands surrounded by this green wall. And then once you get past the green wall, there are massive, expansive green spaces for these creatures to live. And you may say, well, but how do you hide a Bigfoot in, in you know, even in these green spaces, all this area? Right. Well, perfect example, or even the living pterosaurs. Well, let's look at hogs, feral hogs, not the smartest bulbs in the drawer, Right. Yep. I mean, don't get me wrong, they're smart. Pigs are, are a lot smarter than most people give them credit for. But these are not animals to go around thinking, how do I stay hidden from humanity? Yeah. Right? They're, they're hogs. They will do what they do. Last best guess estimate is over a thousand hogs, feral hogs, are active in Irving. And they cause thousands of dollars of damage yep. every year. Now, for those who aren't maybe local, Irving is more or less just a continuation of the urban sprawl that is downtown Dallas. Irving is basically just concrete at this point. And yet, because the Trinity River runs through it, there's that green space. We have an entire, a very large population of hogs. Yeah. In fact, um, I used to have to drive through Irving all the time uh, to go to work. There was a deer on the side of I-35 yep. in Irving. And it's like, <laughs> this is about as downtown as it gets, right? Unless you're literally in Dealey Plaza, that's downtown. Yeah. You can't even tell where Dallas ends and Irving begins, except for the fact that, that the roads turn into the surface of the moon. Mm-hmm. Um, it's how bad they are. But the thing is, yet even in Irving, you can hide feral hogs. These are not small things. These are very large animals, powerful, dangerous animals. And most people never see them. Yeah. They see the damage they cause, but they never see the hogs. So it, it, it seems almost counterintuitive, but in many ways, the way we've set up our entire lives, our civilization is designed to protect us from coming across these creatures. The only time we do is when we, is when one of us sort of crosses over into the other's domain. Right. Yeah. It, so like, it's, it's funny that you mentioned hogs. Didn't I, I believe it was sometime last year, there was a lady that got killed by a hog in the morning. Yeah. Uh, down around Houston. Yeah. So, yeah, she was coming out of her house and, you know, mm-hmm. like early in the morning, and then there was a hog. Yeah, that's, that's sad. It's feral shitty. hogs are nothing to play with. This mm-hmm. is, okay, so this is not a cryptozoological conversation at this point, but, right, right. <laughs> which is fine. But people need to, that, that's the thing is most people don't understand nature. What they understand is the garden, right? I, I wrote an article years ago about the difference between the, the garden and the jungle, right? Mm-hmm. Most people live their lives thinking of, when they think of animals, they think of their pets, or they think of domesticated cattle. They don't realize how vicious and wild the world really is. When they think of nature, they think of a garden. They right. don't think of the jungle. They don't understand what that life is like. So they don't really fully understand how dangerous a lot of these wild animals are, including deer. I mean, let's face it. If you run across a buck in mating season, it's likely to try and kill you. Yeah. And people don't think that way, but it's because we're, because we've become so unfamiliar with nature, I think that actually helps us be, or helps these creatures hide even more because now no one's really looking for them. Like in, in many cases, you can find evidence that people ran across them more often 50, 60 years ago, a hundred years ago, 
than we do today. Because with all the with all the seven uh, seven plus million people in our little metroplex, you'd imagine we'd run across them even more often, mm. but we don't. Because yeah. we're not looking for them, we don't know what to. We we wouldn't. Most people don't even know when something's out of order. Like it, you know, as far as nature goes, because they're unfamiliar. With. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, this whole metroplex area. It's kind of for everybody that's like never been here. It's kind of. It's. I mean, it's all so close to each other, but it's still kind of spread out in a weird way, um, mm-hmm. where you still have to drive like twenty, thirty minutes to get you know somewhere, but it's still right there. But you know, yeah, like Fort Worth rock wall you know stuff like that but um yeah so i guess we can jump into here a little bit can you you mentioned you had a a sighting of your own you know Mm -hmm. can you can you go over that for us june 1992 uh so it's summer i'm out there fishing in the 10 mile creek with a friend of mine that's what we did i'm pretty familiar with the animals uh, that are in the area right nothing really stood out but we're out there it's getting about 10 11 o'clock he's like he's gonna go back and and eat because we've been fishing all morning. And so he's packed up and he's already up the the ramp a little bit. So as I mentioned earlier, the creek, the 10 mile, is basically cut 15 or 20 feet into the limestone bedrock that all of North Texas sits on. What this means is it's very hard to actually get into the creek, except for a few points where that cliff face or that wall has actually collapsed on itself and basically allows uh, for, dra- for water to, to drain in. And it creates these banks. That's where we were. And uh, so he's already up and he's into the tree line and on the other side of the tree. I'm packing up and I and I just start going up and I get just inside the tree line. When I hear uh, a, what sounds like an ugly crow, it's the only, that's the only noise, that's the closest I can come to describing it. It's like the caw of an ugly crow. And it was very loud. I was like, what the heck is that? I've never heard it before. So I, I sort of leaned back and stick my head outside the tree line, and I see what I, at first I think is the largest blue heron I've ever seen in my life, right? Uh, wingspan, again, the walls are sheer, and they're, 15, they're about 15, 20 feet apart in most places, so I can actually see how big this thing is. Like, it's not just out in the air. This thing is in the creek, so I can see how far the wings are from the walls, right. and this is a big, big thing, and I'm like, you know, eight to 10 feet wingspan. That's, that's a big blue heron. It was, I thought it was a blue heron for three reasons. One, it had that bluish gray coloring that they have, right? Sort of like a Payne's gray. Right. Two, uh, it had sort of that S-curve shape to its neck, right? You know, when the cranes fly, they, mm-hmm. they move their head. So their head is basically sitting on their shoulders and the neck sort of comes out underneath their, uh, their bill a little bit. It's sort of how it had its neck. And I saw behind it what I thought were its legs, right? Because, you know, when a heron flies, it sticks both legs back out. Right. That's what I thought I was looking at. And it was overall, it looks like a heron. And then, at, and I'm watching it, and it gets, literally, it isn't until it's right here in front of my face, and its right wingtip is five feet from my eye, from my face. Like, it's right there. And of course, it's moving, so I can't see the fine detail, like it's like eye color or anything like that. But I can tell this thing has no feathers. It's it, the wings are membranous, and what I thought, and as it flies by, I also noticed that what I thought had been its legs sticking out behind it, like a heron, because that's what I was expecting to see, was actually a tail with a flange on the end. And it just keeps on going. I, and again, I, I'm in the straight. I'm like in the middle of the straightaway. Is the best way to think of where I'm at, right? Is that it's sort of the Ten Mile Creek. Let's face it, Texans are not good at naming things. We, you know, it's 
it's like why it's like why is round rock called round rock because there was a big round rock that was sort of you know it told everyone <laughs> you could cross there right <laughs> like why do we why do we have lake texoma because it's a lake that's straddling the line between texas and oklahoma mm. we're terrible at naming things <laughs> so 10 mile creek is a creek that runs for 10 miles and it, it empties into the trinity well it sort of snakes its way through Duncanville, DeSoto, Lancaster, Wilmer Hutchins, and then meets up with uh, Trinity. So it sort of snakes its way through. But where I'm at is a good maybe 80 yards of straightaway. Nice. So I get a good look, good long look coming and then going. And once I realized that what I was looking at, once it was right in front of my face, I'm like, okay, I can, you know, it's like you, you sort of have to take that moment to process what you're seeing. I can watch it fly away. And that's when I realized I could see where its legs were in relation to the rest of its body. And that's why I'm like, this thing's a pterodactyl. Now, I'm 12. I'm into dinosaurs. But like everyone else, I'm when you say pterodactyl or pterosaur, I'm thinking the pteranodons that you see in like the Flintstones or Jurassic Park. Yeah. Right? Because that's the, those, they're, they're big. They're, that's the flashy one, right? They have the head crest and everything. This was only eight to ten feet, you know, eight to ten foot wingspan. It was gray. It didn't have a crest. Hmm. It had a tail. So, I mean, the Ramphoractoid pterodactyls uh, are just, our pterosaurs, rather, are not, they're just not the, they're not big. Like, they weren't flashy at the time. So, I was like, but as like, but it didn't seem like any of the ones that I was familiar with, but I'm, I'm reeling from this. And my friend comes back. It's at that moment, my friend comes down and he's like, Hey, you coming or not? Yeah. And I'm like, did you just see the pterodactyl that flew through here? And he laughs and he's like, dude, are you crazy? And that's when I realized I can't talk to anybody about this, mm. but I would go on to find it. It's like, okay, it's a ramfractoid. And of course, over the years I'd come across, you know, there's that famous photo of um, it's a kid right? Supposed to, now, again, the problem is everyone seems to know that the photo comes from a book, but we can't find where the original newspaper the photo is supposed to have come from, right? Okay. But it's a kid holding a dead ramfractoid pterodactyl, right? Or pterosaur. It's not much bigger than he is. It has the long flange tail. I remember seeing and thinking, now that's weird. Why would someone fake this photo? Like normally when, when they're faked, it's the pterodactyl, right? Right. And what's worse is usually when they're fake, they're faked looking like, or they're trying on, they're fake looking like what artists tend to think they look like, right? So oftentimes you'll see them uh, when they're fake, they'll have uh, bat wings, right? So they'll have, you know, the fingers in the membranes. Well, that's not how they, that's not what they look like, right? Or they'll have teeth. And it's like, that's just not what they really are. So I found it, I kept finding it odd that people would fake that one. Uh, long story short, met Ken Gerhard and I, I come to find out that, you know, while I was aware that there were living accounts of pterosaurs down in, t- uh, in the, you know, or in the Rio Grande Valley, mm. I'm still thinking it's Dallas. They don't belong here. Right. And I find out that there is a lot of people who've had sightings in Southern Oklahoma, North, in the Southern Oklahoma, North Texas region. Right. Of course, we also see them in Georgia, and we also see them in California. And so it was one of those things where I remember the, that first moment where I'm like, I'm not crazy. Because uh, they showed me a, a thing made, like a little statue made by one, by someone who saw one up in Oklahoma. And it looked like a heron. And it did the S-curve shape thing with the neck. And that's when I realized I, 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 I could accept that I saw it. Mm-hmm. Because I just couldn't believe it. And then I see this this piece of artwork and it's exactly what I saw like it was missing the tail but overall it looked like what I saw and in the years that have followed everyone that I've spoken to literally has said this to me they said well at first I thought I was looking at the biggest 
heron or crane or I, I was looking at a pelican that was holding something. And then I got a closer look. So I think one of the things that allows these creatures to stay hidden, where again, outside of the green space, uh, the green wall, is they're nocturnal. But when they are seen during the day, I think most people are just, oh, it's a heron, right? They just, they, they write it off because they don't immediately stand out. You actually have to look at them. So again, I don't think that the whole sky is full of these things. I think it's probably, you know, an endangered level population, right? But so what you have is a nocturnal animal that is that it has a very small population. So when we do see them during the day, they just also happen to look like cranes, like a blue heron. So most people don't ever recognize what they're seeing. That's how they stay hidden. Right. But that's what I saw. And over the years, I found many other people who've seen them even in the same creek that I did, in or around. Even and the, uh, just a few months ago, I had someone call me up. I was like, Jason, this is going to sound crazy, but... And when I came out as a biblical paranormal researcher, two people I knew were like, okay, I'm going to tell you this. This is going to sound crazy, but... And I'm like, how is it that I've known you people for years and y'all right. never told me this? Yeah. And they're like, well, we didn't know if you'd say we were crazy. Well, no, I'm not, because I've seen the same thing, right? Yeah. And it's just, it's, and I think what it, what it comes down to the most, you know, like you just mentioned, uh, a lot of people are just kind of afraid what everyone's going to think about them. So, you know, people mm -hmm. don't say, like, they don't, they don't relay, you know, like their stories. Maybe they'd seen something out there as well, but they're just like, well, no one's going to believe me. So I'm just going to keep it to myself. I mean, besides myself and like maybe a few other people, nobody else really gives a shit about, you know, anything, you know, like anything related. So it's just yeah. like, yeah, I'm not going to tell anybody. So, I mean, I wonder how many stories out there that you have from other people that are just too afraid, you know, to actually say anything because they don't, just don't want anybody to, for anybody else to think that they're crazy. So, honestly, so when I was doing research for the book, you know how I found people? I would just when I when I'd go out to investigate an area, I'd swing, I'd make multiple stops at like the gas station or mm -hmm. like the, some, you know, like a Dollar Tree, buy a Coke or whatever. I'd say, and I talked to the guys behind the camera, like, "Hey, you ever seen anything weird?" Half of my stories came came that way. And here's the thing, I, I didn't. Again, I didn't have to look that hard. And yet, you tell people I'm a biblical paranormal researcher. I'm looking, for, you know, strange. And there is sometimes they'd be like, "Well, how strange are you looking?" Yeah. <laughs> right. Now here's the thing: everyone had a ghost story. Mm -hmm. Like everyone has a ghost story. But it again, the thing is, it didn't take long to find someone who'd had a, an encounter with a, with an animal that most people wouldn't imagine existed. In fact, one guy, he didn't even necessarily know about old one eye out in Lake Granbury. He was out. Uh, he I tell his story, uh, Mr. King, uh, in the book. He didn't even realize there was like monster out there, but he had an encounter with it. It was just weird. And in fact, when I told him that, he kind of stopped. He goes, "Well." okay, so this happened to me earlier in the year. <laughs> yeah. And he, but for him, he didn't think, he just thought it was weird. He didn't think it was necessarily a lake monster, right? right? But so the thing is, a lot of people don't even necessarily put a lot of these things into that contest. They just think it was weird, but okay, whatever. Yeah, a lot of this is just the fact that our culture doesn't want to talk about these creatures. Uh, now, why we don't want to talk about that, that may be an entirely different conversation. But, we don't. And it's been very unpopular to talk about this for a very long time. And we're just now coming to a point where people are feeling comfortable having these conversations. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I get a lot of stories, especially I was in the military. So I, 
I've been overseas and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. I would get stories from you know, like, like other countries and stuff like that. But um, it seems more like here in the States, they're just not open to kind of speaking about it like mm-hmm. more freely because, you know, like other countries I've been, Oh yeah, you know, like they have no issues and they actually believe more in, you know, mm-hmm. like stories or th- that these things would actually exist somewhere. Um, but it just seems like here in the, in the States, all the people that I know and stuff like that, they don't, they don't really think about it too much or they don't really care. So it's kind of weird that way. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think it's weird. I think there's an agenda behind it personally. It, it's one of those things where, um, Again, this may be an, another conversation for another day, mm. but around World War One, if you go before World War One, you can find even mainstream academics talking about weird things. Like you can right. find um, archaeology. You know, I guess the closest thing to archaeologists they had at the time, they would talk about giants in the United States. They would mm. talk about some of these myths. The idea of finding living creatures that that supposedly had been extinct it wasn't outrageous to them. Right. But then around World War One, and later, that's all off the table. And what we have is, in fact, we can find a lot of stories in the late 1800s that oftentimes uh, a lot of researchers now just say, oh, they're nothing, right? It's just, you know, back then, news reporters, they, they were just, they would make things up. <laughs> yeah, no. No, they didn't. Now, do they get the facts right? Guess what? Y'all aren't getting the facts right today anyway, so bite me on that one. <laughs> it's, But they weren't making them up. They were relating real accounts. And yeah. the simple fact of the matter is they were open to doing it, but at some point around World War One, I think for political reasons, uh, there was this move away from anything that was outside of this sort of very... Uh, it, it's not just atheistic it's a very it's a very it's an atheistic perspective of the world but it's very predicated on darwinism mm-hmm. on, and, and not even darwinism a very specific understanding of darwinism right right um this sort of uh you know i, I think it, the sort of very aggressive form of a of darwinian atheism where it's like this is the model this is how it has to be nothing can vary from this right. so anything that sort of ran across that was thrown out as superstition it was sort of like, instead of saying, hey, let's just bring science into these encounters and say, people are seeing things, let's start asking some questions and exploring it, it had to be kicked out of the, out of the question entirely. Right. Because we were told by science that these things don't exist anymore, therefore you couldn't, be, you couldn't see them. It's, it's a very narrow perspective of the world, and, it was, and that's what's led to where we are today thing is people are now willing to, to come forward and talk about it because now there's an in, there's you're no longer the one guy who's seen them and everyone else is staying silent you're one of a lot of people who've seen them and so once people can see that other people have come forward they're more likely to come forward and, and tell you their story but this is i would argue the our reticence in our culture to discuss these things is very much an agenda especially yeah i mean gender-driven Absolutely. I mean, you had the Smithsonian. I don't remember it was sometime recently or earlier this year mm-hmm. admitting that they were actually, uh, had actually taken giant bones you know, way back in the day and, and actually disposed them of them. Um, now, I don't remember exactly where I read that story, but I know that it was, I want to say sometime at the beginning of this year that they actually said that they were, you know, actually going out and looking for giants and, mm-hmm. you know, like all their bones and then actually getting rid of them so that, you know, there was like no evidence of them left. Um, right. 
Well, they didn't. They didn't. I I remember the story. The thing is, they didn't exactly say it that way. It's one of those things where they put a face on it, and so people are like, "Well, okay, there's a reasonable thing." Like this wasn't really what it was. It's sort of their way of it. And the thing is, again, they're very much involved in this cover up. And the thing is, though, a lot of the actual covering up happened years ago. So everyone, so it's sort of like everyone who's handed down. They're like, "Well, our hands." they're like, well, of course, there's no evidence of of this, you know. So why why bother? Yeah. They were just disposing of they were disposing of frauds and they were disposing of um, of fakes or you know things like that. Like they in in, in misidentified misidentified material. So they 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 created a story. That story then uh, becomes the accepted narrative. And as long and so long as well, we can't produce anything to counter that narrative anymore because you already destroyed it. Yeah. It's like, it's real easy to say, well, you know, you can't show me any evidence, therefore you're wrong when you've destroyed, knowingly destroyed all the evidence. Yeah. Well, now we're three generations from that. And so they can safely say, well, we have no evidence of this. So we're just going to go with this. It was just them getting rid of trash. You know, why would, why would a good scientist, and this is, you know, they, they have this idea why would a good scientist destroy unknown information? Wouldn't that, wouldn't everyone want to make their career off of it? Yeah. Well, if they were good scientists, yes. I think that's sort of the crux of this whole thing. Is maybe the people who were doing it weren't good scientists. We were very slowly changing the paradigm in which we all live. Right. Which is allowing people to ask these questions and maybe eventually we'll come up with something. Yeah, it's definitely upsetting that they want to continue to hide, you know, whatever they find out there. Um, I mean, I guess they, they feel that maybe on one hand we're not ready for it and stuff like that. You can make an argument. A lot of people are pretty crazy out there. And you know, if you <laughs> let them know, you know, some of these things out there actually existed out there. I mean, who knows, you know, a lot of people would lose faith or they would come, mm-hmm. you know, just, you know, stuff like that. But I, I still don't think it's an excuse to, you know, actually cover it up to the extent that they do, you know, with things like like UFOs and stuff like that. But um, Well, so I'll be honest, I don't know that's even that complicated. I think for most people, right, in the field, yeah. and this is actually one of the reasons I stopped my, you know, I, I finished my bachelor's and I didn't go on in archaeology because originally what I wanted to do was combine my art history studies with archaeology uh, because I believe, and I still believe, that I think a lot of uh, artwork is very much misunderstood because the people who are studying it, they don't actually, like, they're coming at it from, a, from the wrong perspective. They're not looking at it from an artistic perspective. Right. So they're not really interpreting a lot of these materials uh, correctly. But what happens is you get out in the field, right? And then you find the wrong thing. And you realize, man, this is going to catch, again, it's sort of like it's the whole, you know, pterodactyl. It's like, this is going to catch a lot of flack. I don't know that I really want, I don't know that I really want to get down for this. <laughs> I ain't going to talk about it. Yeah. Because you know what you call an archaeologist who finds the wrong object? Florist. Because your funding is dependent on Again, basically, the mainstream, uh, so this is how it works. The mainstream academia says this guy or this woman is, is good, they're profound, they're writing papers, they're in good standing, you can give them money. A lot of this money comes from the government or comes from government-adjacent individuals. So you have to get that grant money. You've got to produce. You've got to find the new thing. 
you don't want to upset the apple cart. Like there's some things you can absolutely do. Right. Right. The new discoveries made all the time, but none of these discoveries are making, it's like, Oh, Hey, I found uh, in fact, there's a woman, this is a great example, found in Northern Mexico. It was stone work, it was stone tools and some other objects. And when they had them tested, I forget, I forget the type of testing they had, but it basically came back over 50,000 years. The thing is, there weren't supposed to be humans capable of producing such complicated uh, materials that far back. Right. Now, again, I don't think it was actually that long ago, but that's a different kettle of fish. The thing is, she puts the information out. She shut down. Uh, she was on her way to be, you know, to basically having uh, tenure. And they kicked her out of the whole university. And mm -hmm. one of the people who worked with her said, look, I agree with everything that you're saying. Mm -hmm. I've seen the evidence. I did the test myself. You're right. Everything you're saying is right. But if I say that, I'm going to get kicked out. So I, I, have to, I have to officially say to my department chair is telling me I can't agree with this publicly. It is not very hard. You, know, you don't have to dig very hard to find people who used to be archaeologists and now they're florists or there's something else. Because they found the wrong object. Uh, there are a lot of laboratories who are given Bigfoot hairs, right? And they're like, mm -hmm. well, the problem is they tell them it's Bigfoot. And then it's like, uh, we don't know. Or it becomes a bear. Or it's, hey, this is really interesting. What do you think it is? Where did it come from? Well, we think it's a Bigfoot hair. I'm sorry. We can't, you can't tell anyone that we did this test. <laughs> yeah. Right? And so it catches you in that loop. You have someone who's willing to say, hey, this hair is exotic. We can't identify it, but they won't come on the record to say that because now they're, because they don't want to be associated with it. So there is a, there's an active suppression. And so it leads to Sasquatch being in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex and no one talking about it. <laughs> Living pterosaurs. Yeah. And then of course, don't even get started on the, on the paranormal stuff. Like there are, I have I, uh, stories in the books of people actually physically seeing goat men. And it's like, well, but they're, it's not just, oh, I heard it. It's like, no, I talked to the people or I talked to the person who took the actual report. Right. And it's like people are seeing actual physical creatures. Again, I mentioned the woman who was attacked by the Lachusa. Physical Lachusa, and we know it was physical because it actually bent the tree branch it was on. They heard it tapping on the window after they escaped from it. Now, clearly it's a paranormal, it, like this is clearly a paranormal entity. Right. But it does, it did take some kind of physical form. So, and, and same thing, whether it's Goatman or Lachusa or some of these other creatures that I don't even really have names for, I sort of associate them with the Goatman or, or you know, Chupacabras. You, you sort of have to say, hey, something's going on. Not all the, these, you can't have all, all these people having the same hallucination right yeah there is a paranormal aspect to a lot of this and the problem is people again people don't talk about it it's unscientific it's superstitious so we never really explore it right and i think it's it's coming to that time where people are going to be more comfortable talking about it. we can really start exploring and asking some i think some really big questions yeah it's about time i mean i mean you mentioned the goldman fort worth i mean that in and of itself is this kind of odd i spent a lot of time in fort worth i mean can you kind of go into what that whole thing was about like how yeah know, that story was so so in, the, uh, in this is actually kind of I, I very much start the book with it because in many ways this event is has so many ramifications for us in the in the who are interested in the cryptozoology 
Because right. this is the second big takeaway, right? We, we oftentimes look at lore and we, and we work from what the reports are in this lore and we put it all together as a case we're looking at this or this. And let me explain why that's, uh, why the Fort Worth Goatman is sort of evidence as to why we shouldn't do that. In the 60s, uh, early 60s, uh, I, think, I think it was 1963, I can, I'm terrible with names and dates, so <laughs> Sorry. forgive me for that. But the Lake Worth Monster, right? It was a famous event. What we had was basically a Sasquatch. And my theory, and I talk about this in the book, because I think he actually had mange. Um, this, these people talk about having scales or being a burn victim, several, uh, several reports of that. Hmm. I think it was just, it had mange. And again, I go into the details as to why in the book. But we have a Sasquatch that is seen by dozens of people, including police officers, right. in broad daylight. It actually throws debris and a tire at people. Hmm. It is within feet of people. It gets on uh, one gentleman's car. Like this, this creature, this is not a subtle event. It's a big event. And it is seen by numerous people. And the thing is, it makes the television. And again, 1963, television's new. Everyone was talking about this. Right. Well, Jim Mars, the newspaper man, uh, who, who was sort of taking these stories, he dubs it the goat man because the first gentleman who sees it, he, he saw it as having scales and sort of goat-like hair, so he called it the goat man. Right. Well, so the name sticks. And what happens, and I show in the book from uh, recorded events in Cedar Hill, mm. that what happens is there had been prior encounters with Sasquatch for going back over a century in the area. Waxahachie, Red Oak, didn't matter. They were called the creature, it was called uh, the monster, whatever. But it was known to go up and down the creeks and use them as, as a highway. Right. People knew about it, but, but once the, the, the Lake Worth monster event happens, they're all now relabeled as goat men. Mm. And if people have an encounter with one, it becomes the goat man. Right. Well, so then this is where it gets weird. The name then sticks and, and, and becomes its own separate mythology. And what you see is all of the goat men in and around the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, and there's a ton of them. There is lore, even the White Rock Lake, which we'll, we're going to put, uh, so the White Rock Lake goat men is put aside for a second, but even it falls prey to this where the, the events of the Lake Worth monster in the summer of 1963, I believe, it is those events that become the lore that gets placed on top of all these Goatmen, right? So that's there. But then what happens is the name Goatman sort of becomes the urban legend mythological name okay. for all the things that are seen. Let's use uh, Old Alton Bridge, uh, which is also known as Goatman Bridge. It's out there in Denton, right? It's very famous. Uh, people go out there all the time to look at it. Ghost hunters love it. It is, you actually stop and you listen to the story. It's not a Sasquatch, right? What you have with the story there is it's a hangman's bridge, which is an old, old story that you can find virtually every iron truss bridge in the South has the story of the hangman's bridge, right? You, the original version is there's a criminal who do, who's done something wrong. They hang the guy, uh, his head falls off. Right, or he's or he's died and his spirit haunts it, right? It's Hangman's Bridge. But the old Alton version, it the first version he's a criminal, second version he is a, a who who's who gets decapitated. 
and then he finds uh, some poor goat, wrenches its head on, places it on the body, and then that's that's what haunts the area, right? That's the original version. Right. In the '60s, it's updated to be a, a poor black man who is who's dubbed the Goat Man because he had a little goat farm, and that the Ku Klux Klan comes and murders his family, and then and then lynches him on the side of the of the bridge. It's a different. It's a the end result is the same, but the, right. how you get there again that's that's more indicative of our changing society. I talk about that as well. Right. But the name Goatman is the important thing. Now, don't get me wrong. I think some. I think that location originally would have been a really great place to have seen a Sasquatch. But again, and that may again. I think like in Cedar Hill, people saw one. The name sticks. Well, then that that urban legend it, it sort of it takes its own sort of urban legend name and it moves on with it, right? And so what we have is the original Goatman, which is which is a Sasquatch front, out at Lake Worth. It's a real physical creature. We then have the mythological Goatman, which is this urban, which is basically the urban legends all building on top of it. Uh, DeSoto has uh, the, the Hinky Man, which is their version. But most other places have Goatman. But then you get to White, to White Rock Lake. And again, the same lore is on top of it, right? The, it's, it's all the stuff from from the Lake Worth event. It, the, this creature will throw trash at you, it throws tires at people, and you're like, hold on, same thing, right? You can see how it's being, how people are just telling the story. So this is the danger of lore. We often, I think we're assigning, we're using lore to understand these creatures. The problem is that's very unreliable for a lot of reasons. But this is where like the White Rock Lake Goatman gets weird. People actually see a Goatman. A clearly paranormal creature, but it's half man, half goat. It, uh, the, the the famous story, uh, Nick Redford actually made this one famous when he lived out there, the story of Sandy Graves, where this creature walks out from behind the tree line, seven feet tall, goat legs, human body, horns, smiling like the Joker, walks up to her, and within when he gets like 15 feet, like she's panicking, she's freaking out, it then disappears in a blinding flash of light. Well, okay, we have to, you know, it's like, it would be easy to say, well, maybe it was just her, except I have more people, I have an entire crowd of people in the book who see almost the same thing. Right. And it happens before Sandy Grace. So Sandy Grace's story couldn't have, cre- it couldn't have inspired theirs because they saw it and they didn't tell anybody about it. Because again, they didn't want to be seen as crazy. <laughs> and then I have other stories. You get a little away from White Rock Lake, like no more than two miles. There are creeks and tributaries off of, because for most people who don't know, North Texas doesn't have natural lakes. They're all uh, aspects of the Trinity River, right? You have four primary creeks, and you have these other smaller creeks. And what we've done is we've, we've dammed them up. And so we have, uh, so these lakes are all man-made off of these tributaries of the Trinity. Well, there are these little creeks and tributaries from White Rock Lake. I've got two different accounts of creatures that aren't quite goat man but they're clearly paranormal and they're not they're not it's like we don't know what they are they you know they they have backwards facing legs they're about the same height um there's a story i didn't get unfortunately i found out about it after i'd already written the book that describes a smiling monster sneaking into someone's home and it's less than a mile from white rock lake so there is so the question becomes now you have to ask is well why are we seeing a goat man? Yeah. Did, did our story 
in our telling of the story, did we create this creature? Or is it simply taking, is it a creature that existed and is now taking a form that we would recognize? Or is there something deeper? Like, again, if you take a lot of these, uh, and we talked about this in my other channel, on the channel I'm on on Mondays, and I've, we've caught some flag for it, but a lot of people have actually started asking, they sort of appreciate us asking the question, do we even really know what we should attribute to Bigfoot or not? So it's sort of, take, let's, let's take this, this step a little bit further. What if there are other creatures out there? The problem is, you know, paranormal creatures, other physical creatures, but we lump everything into Sasquatch or everything into Bigfoot, right? Right. Well, what if that's the problem? And what if this, if this paranormal creature that Sandy Grace and these other, and this other people saw, if it's capable of changing its form, how often are they, are what we call Bigfoot not actually Bigfoot? What if there are these other paranormal creatures running around but maybe they look like Bigfoot or they're taking the form of Bigfoot to hide or it's, it, that's the form that we would process them in. And so what we have are these stories in this lore, these urban legends that we're taking as Bigfoot, we're putting them in the mythos. And so this is why we can't come to the understanding of what they are is because we've got, we've got bad data in there. So again, the, the two major takeaways for those of you who are, who are really interested in big in, in sort of this question of, cryptozoology is the green wall and then the danger of mythology and of and of lore and how we need to start parsing things because one of the questions i ask in the book is let's remove the name goat man and lechusa right what are we left with well with the, the goat men of white rock lake in the areas well what we're kind of found with what we see once you remove the word goat man what we're left with are the same creatures people said they saw in ancient Greece, right? The fawns and Pan and uh, the satyrs. They're the Leshi of Russian lore. They're the Shadim of Hebraic, uh, of, of Hebraic lore and biblical writings. Same thing with, with, uh, with Lachusa. It's like, okay, we'll remove the name, this, this Hispanic name to it. What are you left with? You're left with the harpies of the Greeks. You're left with uh, Lilith mm. of the Sumerians and the Hebrews. Like, well, hold on. These are the same creatures. We've seen these things before. These are not new things. They're old things. We've just right. given them new names. Yep. Uh, as So the question is, are we just telling the same stories over and over again and, they're, and we're seeing them like tulpas, like Nick Griffin talks about? Or are, are these creatures real? They're paranormal, but they're real. And they just take different names as we encounter them in different cultures. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have an answer for you, but you know, if you, if you want to go buy 12 copies of the books, right. I'm certain it'll help you figure it out. Absolutely. <laughs> no, but you know what? It's, it's, it's weird that you mentioned um, White Rock Lake. Cause I used to live actually right by White Rock Lake. Um, it's a beautiful and, place. Yeah. It's just, but it's, you, you know, you could see how things would exist out there because it's it's just like all surrounded by trees and like marsh, and it's just yeah, you, you can get lost in there really if you were just to go out there at night. We would always drive by, and I would see people biking through there and stuff, and and I was mm -hmm. always thinking like, why would you go biking through there at, at oh, night? Exactly. You know? Like yeah. at night, it's like why would you do that? But it's 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 crazy that that they would see those kinds of things out there, like, and I used to live like right by there as well. But I mean, it's mm -hmm. it's it's even more interesting that you. Th mentioned that that maybe it's kind of one of these things that people would will into existence maybe along the lines of like 
like the, like this whole slender man thing right it was like something born yes. on, online and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. people were seeing it like out in the world and maybe it yeah. changed you know stuff like that mm-hmm. that's that's definitely interesting yeah well it's so i i hate not yeah i hate referencing movies as a as a as a point but i think it was, it was a good one did you ever see the the what was supposed to be the last nightmare on elm street i think it was yeah. called the last nightmare okay yeah where it's like a movie within a movie. Mm-hmm. And the entire premise was, uh, I thought it was a brilliant idea, was that the reason we keep telling horror stories was to trap this demon. And that as long as we were telling the stories, the demon was trapped within the story. And it was it basically humanity was safe. But once we stop telling the stories, it breaks free and comes into our world. Of course, the climax of the film, I'm sorry to spoil a 35-year-old movie yeah. now. <laughs> God, I'm getting old. Um, but the end result of it is when they kill it, they find out, Hey, this thing was, it was the witch from Hansel and Gretel. And you you see these, all these weird, it's the serpent. It's, it's this demon that's been around forever. So the question becomes, what if, again, it's a pre, you know, like you said, we have the Tulpa theory that Nick Redfern prefers where it's our thoughts are manifesting these creatures. Right. But what if this is something, again, what if they're just old? What if this these paranormal creatures are their real actual demons, and that, but that either our telling of their story gives them life. authority or life, like or allows them to come over, right? Or maybe the reason we keep telling the same stories is because that's just what they look like, right? Right, and so we just it's like, well, what did you see? I saw a goat man. Why? Because that's what it really looks like. It's like that's just what it is. It's, yeah it's a freaking goat man and that's the form it takes and so we just it's 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 a chicken or the egg question but it's a question we need to really ask if we want to get you know anywhere with this question right it's like we're we're dealing with even and this is just even assuming that bigfoot really is just an ape or a or a, you know an ancient hominid right i mean like we don't know what it is Right. I'm happy saying I don't know. I don't get me wrong. I would like for it to be an ape. Like it would make my, it would make me feel way better than to think that there is some telepathic, you know, humanoid run, that, that can interdimensional humanoid running around. It's like okay, I, I don't see that being the case. Hmm. But I've talked to people who are, I mean, people who legitimately you're like, okay, these are good people. They're not lying. They're not crazy. But they will talk about a telepathic Bigfoot. Right. Now, my in, my immediate thought, though, is, okay, what if the problem is it's not really Bigfoot? So, let's say there is, you know, Patty was, you know, pa- of Patterson-Gimlin fame was an example of what a Sasquatch is. A, just a relic bipedal ape, right? That's all it is. It's probably smart because it's big, has a lot of brain power, no problem. I mean, most apes are really, really smart anyway. So there's nothing that bothers me about that. So Sasquatch is this. But then you have the other stories that are being attributed to Sasquatch of them being telepathic and moving through walls. And I'm like, well, let's remove the, 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 the Bigfoot nomenclature for just a moment. What is it that you're seeing? Because then it's like, well, what are people actually encountering? Well, in many cases, it does sort of connect to things like UFOs and demons and these other paranormal creatures. It's like, so... Maybe there is actual Bigfoot, which is some sort of an ape right. or whatever. Like, I don't know. But then we have mythological Bigfoot. But then we have paranormal Bigfoot. 
because paranormal Bigfoot isn't the same thing as this. It's, it's something else, but we keep calling it Bigfoot. And so we keep trying. So we're having this fight over what something is. And it's like, hold up. These are two different phenomena, right? Like you imagine someone who sees, who wants to talk about sharks and you got other people who want to talk about dolphins, but they're, they're arguing because they're talking about two completely different things. And yet they're saying they're trying to make them the same creature. We'd look at them like they were crazy. Right. What if that's what's happening with Bigfoot? There is a material Bigfoot. It eats and it defecates and procreates. But then we have something else. This the things that we see around White Rock Lake. The these uh, you know, these other paranormal creatures. The problem is we start because of lore, because of, of assumptions, we, we just we pile everything into one big box and we're trying to figure it out. Well, guess what? If you take two different puzzles and you throw them together, you're never going to solve it. Yeah. You have to sort through what pieces are actually to belong to which puzzle. And then you can solve separate puzzles. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, I mean, there's definitely a whole lot of stuff going on. I mean, whether it's, it's kind of one of those things where people just kind of pin it all and, Bigfoot because it's just like the stories they hear over and over again and that's mm-hmm. just like the first thing that comes to their mind that's I would say that's more than more of what's happening you know like quite often I mean p- people don't know what to call it or like they don't know what they're looking at mm-hmm. and it's just the first thing that comes to their mind is like man I had that story about Bigfoot and then hey, it's must have been a Bigfoot that I saw out there and you know that's yep. just it and so it never goes past that I mean because everyone's just like oh well I seen a Bigfoot and they tell somebody else and that person's like, man, you're crazy. So that's just where it ends. Like, you know, that yep. just never goes anywhere else. So it's like, you know, yeah, I mean, who but knows? It's the name everyone uses, right? It's, it's yeah. sort of the name. Like, I think the Chupacabra is a great example of this, right? It's okay. sort of because that been sort of in real time for us. Before the mid-1990s, no one had ever heard of the Chupacabra. Yeah. Right? It shows up in the original version. It's sort of like this weird alien-looking lizard thing with spikes. Yeah. But then eventually we we have the sort of this weird kangaroo thing mm-hmm. and then it becomes something and we have like three or four different, you know, you go back to the ni- late 90s, early 2000s, the chupacabra is three or four different creatures. Yeah, That's one of the reasons that people are like, so do you believe in chupacabra? I'm like, no, I don't believe in chupacabra because if it was a real thing, we'd see all the same thing like with Bigfoot. And I would explain that like with Bigfoot, it doesn't matter where you go. There may be different sizes, but they're all the same thing. Yeah. But with chupacabras, it's like, I'm sorry, these are three, you have three or four major things. These are all radically different. Well, then again, you get a little bit further and we start, we have the koi dogs. And people are saying, yeah, that's the chupacabra. Mm-hmm. Well, hold on. Yeah. That thing's not draining blood from your chickens. It's a dog. Now, it's a weird dog, right? It really is. Like there, like there is some, like, it's something we really need, need to explore. But then it's sort of, that's when you realize, hold on. The problem is the word chupacabra became the nomenclature. And so the problem is people, you had the phenomena, which is your dead chicken that's been drained, uh, you know, a la Dracula. And then, so that's the name, and that's where the name chupacabra comes from, but then it becomes popularized, and now the chupacabra is everything weird that you see. And that's why we had, at one point, three or four major versions of the chupacabra. Well, Again, the, these these blue koi dogs that we're finding, they don't have spikes, yeah. but I think they're the origin of the kangaroo. Looking, you can see how someone could look at that and say it was kangaroo. 
But it's like, well, where did the spikes come from? Well, the spikes came from the original story because the original story had a creature with spikes. And so, what again, it's the, it's the lore. So people, and this is the thing we often miss. I don't really talk about this in the book at all, but this is something I, I like to talk about as an artist. Most people who are drawing, whether it's a dragon from a thousand years ago, the Jersey Devil from a hundred years ago, or the Chupacabra of today, the artists drawing these things never saw it. <laughs> they are literally working off of what someone has told them that they've seen. And then they've, but then they would also throw in what they've heard, right? So the original version is this alien creature with spikes, which um, Ken Gerhardt and Nick Redfern have actually pointed back to being sort of, again, like the whole Jim Mars thing with the goat man, right? The original newspaper uh, man in Puerto Rico who, who's, who sort of creates the Chupacabra name and phenomena the woman who saw it uh, had used, had likened the creature to Sill from the movie Species, which, had, which was out at the time. Mm. You know, uh, it had literally just come out. And, it was, and there were posters of Sill in Puerto Rico. She <laughs> looked at the creature and she likened it to that. So the artists and everyone, they, so what they're doing is they're actually, unfortunately, using Geiger's artwork the I check Gargar, the famous artist who created the alien from aliens. Hmm. Um, and that's, you, you'll need to have me on to talk about that. There, there's an interesting cryptozoological connection between HR Geiger and the alien xenomorphs, but he creates Syl, which has the spikes and the big red eyes. And she describes the creature looking like that. Well, the problem is because she said, look, so like the alien, like from the species movie, we get all these imagery images thrown on top of it. Right. So even what she saw doesn't look like what we think a chupacabra is supposed to look like. It's just the newspaper man associated it to now the imagery is connected. So people hear chupacabra. They're like, well, what did the chupacabra look like? Well, it looked like a kangaroo. <laughs> okay. But then they go and they hear this. So that's the blue koi dog. But then the artist goes and draws it. Well, what does it look? She said it kind of looked like a weird, like a weird kangaroo. And then he looks it up. He's like, well, this guy over here says it has spikes and big red eyes. And, a, and so he, the artist draws all that together. Yeah. And now we have this other weird thing. Look at the Jersey Devil. The artist who drew it wasn't even in the city. They saw it in Jersey. The artist was in Philadelphia, right? So what does he do? He takes these stories, the story, these accounts that people of what they saw, and he draws them literally. He wasn't a forensic artist. He wasn't saying, okay, so what is this person really telling me? We, when most people are telling you something, they're telling, you know, because they're not trained observers. Right. They're going to try and connect it to something that they already know. So what are they describing? It was a big creature. It had a weird, you know, they said it had like the head of a deer and it had bat-like wings and it had a long uh, bifurcated tail. So that's why they drew it that way. It was like a deer with bat wings and a, and a, and a, weird looking devil tail that's what they that's what he drew because he took it literally yeah he probably also wasn't necessarily taking it seriously either but let's re-examine that 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 description right okay it's a big thing it has what does bat like wing means which means it's bimberness and it's not a bird's wing hmm. it has a weird deer like face does it mean it was actually a deer no what they're saying is it wasn't a build beak right it didn't have a beak it wasn't a bird face and the closest thing they could think of was something like a deer okay so what that means is 
long and slender. No apparent, you know, no beak, no, you know, okay, cool. And has a bifurcated tail. What's that? Well, that's the, that's the devil's tail. Right. So it means it's, it's a long tail with a flange on the end. Well, what the heck did I just describe? I described a Ramphoractoid pterodactyl. They've been here. They've always, they always have. The, the guys who, who were drawing the dragons of a thousand years ago were just doing what the guy told them. So what did it look like? Well, I didn't actually see it, but my, but my friend did. And he said it had like the legs of a chicken. <laughs> and it had, but in the front, look at the Babylonian gates, right? Or the Ishtar gates. The dragon that's on there has like bird's feet uh, for, the, for the hind legs. The front legs are like a lion. And it has a long snake-like, well, okay, but it has a long tail. Great. What would you, how would you describe something like, say, an allosaur or even like an iguanodon to someone who lived 3,000 years ago? They leave three toe tracks like a bird, Right. Their front, their front paws. Though they, they're not birds per se, they're they've got long talons on them. Even the iguanodon is is more of a, it's got those spikes on them. Right. It has a long, sort of long neck and it has a sort of snake like head. That's what they're doing. They're just translating it the best way that they, the you know from what they're hearing. Let's look at something as, as bizarre as the cockatrix. Right, you, you go throughout history and there's these weird stories of the cockatrix, hmm. which is a dragon that has the upper torso of a chicken sounds completely preposterous right <laughs> it really does and, yeah. by, and by the way uh, just as an aside this is one of those little pet peeves of mine people talk about the cockatrix and basilisk and and and, and this uh satyrs found in uh in the bible those are mistranslations of real creatures right like the like a cobra right. but but mythologically there are cockatrix which are, again, dragons with the heads and uh, of a chicken. Sounds completely ridiculous. Great. But you, let's say you lived 2,000 years ago or 3,500 years ago. How would you describe something like, say, an oviraptor? We now know that theropods had feathers. Right. But they probably weren't, you know, so literally, what were they looking at? The, the thing, the oviraptor has a beak, right? And even it has a crest. Right. And if they had feathers, I mean, how else would you describe it? It's this six foot tall dragon that's that looks like a chicken. Like it's a per, like it's a perfect explanation. And the thing is, we didn't know that these creatures had feathers, yeah, until like the last twenty thirty years. So hold up, we get we now sort of have to have to ask questions. What are we doing with people who are living only two thousand years ago, or a hundred and fifty years ago, or five hundred years ago? going telling us stories about creatures that are one-to-one -one parallels with creatures that we find in the fossil record and not only are they are they one-to-one -one, they have features they couldn't possibly know that they had like feathers it doesn't make sense unless they were alive and people saw them that's what cryptozoology is they're they're simply remnants of a time that we consider you know they're animals that are in place in time and place that we don't consider them native to and that are strange and bizarre, whether it's a Bigfoot or a living pterosaur. And then you have the, the, the supernatural paranormal creatures that are just non-material. They're alien to our universe. And so we find them as very, very strange. But, and up until very recently, people were okay with their existence. Right. No one questioned that up, to, up until really the age of reason. And even then, most people were willing to accept them. 
but post-World War One, maybe a little bit before that as well, it became unfashionable to even ask the question about them because there is an, there was an agenda that said this is how the world is and anything that doesn't fit within this box has to be shunned. And that's yeah. where we are. It's definitely odd, especially during those times. I mean, you would hear stories about creatures being seen like in the middle of wars and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And that was like, especially yeah. like recently, like in Afghanistan and things like that, when I was overseas and stuff, you would hear stories of like not only giants, but like other creatures that you would see yep. like in the mountains or in the desert or just wherever. Mm-hmm. Um, and you would just hear some crazy, crazy stories and just, you know, just to think that after that time, people were just like, well, I mean, we're not just not going to talk about it anymore because it's kind of crazy. But I mean, and that seems to be when the world's kind of in, in some like serious turmoil is kind of when you would see more action out of them. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like a lot of people would just see some crazy things out there, you know, like I mentioned yeah. during war and stuff, but yeah, I mean, it's odd. I mean, you, like, like you mentioned demons as well. And I know you had, demons uh here in dallas what was that one all about can you well of- i mean yeah i mean uh, you know let's 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 again the, the goat man right out yeah. of white rock lake like what do you think that is it's yeah. like it's yeah. it but then you have things like the lachusa the attacks uh that attacks the young woman who they're talking about in the book right her her aunt uh was a curandara right uh for those who don't know who that is it's uh basically a latin american shaman a female you know but it's 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 more of a it's more born out of the syncretic religions like uh, Santeria, right. so it's not just a shaman. It's it's a little bit more than that. Um, but so she believes that she was targeted because of her connection to her aunt. But that's clearly a paranormal creature because there because at one point this thing's haunting her for like five days. She hears it while she's in a movie theater at one point. No one else hears it, but she can hear it. And it's tapping on the glass at, uh, of her house at night. The thing, for those people who don't know what a lechusa is, it's basically, a, a, imagine an owl the size of a human being with the face of a woman. Well, that's a harpy of Greek mythology, right? And like you were telling me about the, you know, the, the giant owl that your, that your father and, and, and his friends caught, that it was a woman in the morning. That's, that's a witch. It's like, that's, these are all the same stories. Right. right for the greeks that's what they were uh the the harpies were controlled by a witch so it's all the same story because i think we're encountering the same creatures so it's just some are paranormal some are, are purely physical but we're definitely encountering the same things just over and over and over again yeah yeah it's it's pretty it's pretty i mean so like growing up in the desert like out in el paso right so it's you kind of see more stories of like witches and ghosts things like that you know especially mm-hmm. coming from like this like over there all, all the people coming from mexico so like you yeah. would have a lot of stories i literally went to school like on the border i like lived on the border i walk out of my mm-hmm. front door and you can look across and you're looking into mexico so i was like right there mm-hmm. um so we used to go to school there and we would have a lot of people that would come from mexico every day to go to school here yeah, um, and so they would come and they would tell stories about like witches and flying witches in Mexico and witches and mm-hmm. bells and all kinds of crazy things. Um, you know, my grandparents were from Mexico and stuff like that, so it would just you would hear crazy stories about like demons and all kinds of ghosts and witches mm-hmm. and all kinds of weird things that would happen out there. Um, 
and it's as I mean, it's definitely all over. It's definitely not. You wouldn't be surprised if you spoke to some kind of Hispanic family predominantly and they would have some kind of story of like witches and you know oh yeah uh, I've, <laughs> I've got a few stories let me tell you <laughs> yeah. uh, my mother actually grew up uh, in Del Rio so I mean okay kind of the same thing so but yeah believe me when I say I know I've got some stories um but so, so here's the thing right when it comes to the paranormal I think this this intertwines sort of very well with what we're with sort of the whole question of, of White Rock Lake I think that there is definitely a one-to-one parallel between a culture's acceptance of the paranormal and the paranormal's appearance, right? Um, now, there's obviously two questions here. The question is, 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 does believing it make you open to it, or is it, is it choosing when to appear? Meaning, uh, let's take a look at uh, C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters, right? Uh, he, there's, and, and there's a scene where he's he's talking where the the titular demon is talking about what uh this this theoretical uh human call that he would call a, a materialist witch because he's talking about how with witches you the the beauty of a witch was that the demons could terrorize and inflict pain upon the witch directly right but with a materialist this uh, a materialist you couldn't do that they said, but a materialist was was their fa- was one of their favorite things to make humans, because they would never think about God, right? Right, because if there's just the physical, then you're never going to think about God. Right. They said the problem with witches is while they're a lot of fun, they also at some point they, it's very easy for them to start thinking about God because well, if there's this, there must be the other, right? It's it's sort of it's so, but then he speculates that there could be a materialist witch. Hmm. which is something they could believe in the paranormal without actually believing the paranormal. It'd still be material to him. That's sort of where the, the concept stops. And so for him, it's, it was, the question was, is it possible? So it's like, maybe the question is that the, the demons necessarily aren't more prevalent in one culture than they are the other, but rather the tactics that they're going to take are different depending on the, the culture's acceptance of it. Right. If it's like if you accept that magic exists and the paranormal exists, why bother hiding? Right. Why not do what you want to do directly? And, and to a point, it also helps to suppress the culture because it's like, well, you know, the whole point of a lot of these of, of demonic activity in my in my experience is that they're trying to keep someone oppressed, right? They they enjoy it. They and and sort of out of fear, a lot of people won't necessarily turn to God. Right. But a materialist, they're never going to think about it, which is where I think I find it very interesting that the UFO phenomena, um, which I don't really go too much in the book, and I don't know if that's really what your uh, things about we can talk about later, but I find it very interesting that it was Aleister Crowley himself, the 20th century's most uh, famous and diabolical occultist, who said, today we call them angels and demons. Tomorrow we'll call them something else. And the same people who practice, uh, who, you know, the the teachings of Aleister Crowley, they'll tell you that the demon lamb that he conjured, that taught him his his magics, that they still communicate with them today, but that it's not a singular demon; it's actually a species of telepathic alien that they're communicating with. And it's like, huh, that's interesting, yeah. right? And of course, what's happened over the last thirty, forty years? 
as we become more used to uh, and comfortable talking about aliens, we've seen more UFOs. And again, what's funny is if you talk to uh, most ancient alien theorists, they'll tell you. Again, the angels and demons of, of, of the Bible, of ancient mythology, they are the same creatures of today. So it's like you were to put me, I'm again, biblical paranormal researcher. I'm going to tell you, no, they're just straight demons. Right. You, you, you know, the ancient astronaut theoretician would say, no, no, they're aliens. But the thing is, we're saying they're the same creature. It's just the question is, what, which perspective do you want to put on them? Perhaps the paranormal is the same way. It's always there. But your culture's ability to perceive it, it depends on what they're doing is they're making a choice. They would rather have you, you know, fat, happy, and stupid uh, because as long as you're, you're going a certain direction, they, they, why bother to intervene when you can be more subtle? But if you're, it's like, but if they're willing to accept that we exist, why not have a party and start tormenting people, <laughs> possessing people? And, you know, it's like, well, hey, if we can convince some woman that she can become a giant owl creature and kill her enemies, maybe then that's what we do. And maybe that's <laughs> yeah. what happens, right? Yeah. Maybe it, it's, it's one of those things where maybe this is a lot more complicated than we think it is, but it's as simple as, these creatures have an agenda in the same way that whoever is suppressing the cryptozoology had an agenda a hundred years ago. Right. Perhaps these paranormal creatures have an agenda as well. Yeah. Yeah. I've always been interested in the fact or in, in the idea of, of who would be harassed more or even, I guess, um, you know, people that are believe like, religion and you know like they believe in god and you know things like that would they be more at risk of being attacked or would people that do not believe anything they, they don't believe in any kind of god they have no spirituality i mean like on one hand would it be the person that doesn't believe in anything would they be attacked more or the fact that those people who actually believe in god and they're you know they go to church or mass and like that they're more attacked because of the fact that you know they actually believe in god that they would right. be probably like like the biggest target out of all of them um and it's always been like a just one of those interesting things that i I'd always thought about i've spoken to a lot of people with and it's kind of i guess 50 50 when we actually come down to it because i mean there's mm-hmm. there's no real like i guess stats or any kind of proof that would, that would hold right. one over the other right so it's just kind of like would the atheist be attacked more because they don't believe in anything or would the person who believes in God be attacked more because they believe in God and the devil wants, mm-hmm. to, wants, to, wants to bring them down. Right. Right. So I guess it would just, just kind of depend. <laughs> That's just mm-hmm. one of those things I've always, you know, always well, thought about. I've often thought that, well, again, my experience is I think they attack people differently. Right. right? Um, this, so I, I, I've talked to a lot of my police friends. I've, I've asked them, I started asking them the question many years ago. And it's really borne a lot of fruit and stuff I wish I could forget from time to time. But I asked him, how often uh, do you arrest someone who's done something really bad? I mean, genuinely heinous. And they'll tell you, I don't know what came over me. I don't even feel like it was me doing it. I it just, I felt like I was out of my body watching it happen. Like, how often does that happen? Every single one, two men have said it happens all the time. What again? I, I think that a lot of what's going on is the nature of the attacks are, are different. Because when every time I, I've talked to a, a ton of people who were atheists, like I didn't believe in the supernatural, but then they got put into a situation where the supernatural occurred, and they, and their first reaction is, "I'm going to church," right? <laughs> because it's one of those things where it's like they got 
they they put themselves in because they were playing with Ouija boards, which they didn't believe in, or they, whatever it was. But then the but then what happened was the supernatural shows up. It's like we're here, and they're and they freak out and they run away because they're not prepared for it. They don't exist in a world where they should happen. So I think they do try to hold as far as if, it's, if someone's a materialist, I think they try and hold back a lot because they know as soon as you shake that worldview. Right, it's like, well, crap. It's like C.S. Lewis said, once that worldview is shaken, you go immediately to the Bible, you go immediately to God. Now, you may not end up being becoming a Christian or anything, but it's that's a worldview that if you shake, they're going to go one way, right? So, I do think it's a lot more subtle, but I do think that a lot of the um, I'm not saying all, but, but I, I will never say all or everything of any situation because there's just there's always multiple factors, but I wouldn't be surprised if we can wave a magic wand, so to speak, and find, and know, you know, I would imagine that a lot of people who are materialists that we end, that end up doing heinous crimes right. or committing suicide, that there was a demonic hand in, you know, present in this. I think, I think a lot of the missing 411 phenomena may actually have more to do with the paranormal uh, demonic possession than it does necessarily people being taken now i do think there's definitely things where like some people are being taken right Right. but then there's other some of these other associated stories where it's like hold up maybe that's not what's happening here maybe they're being possessed and uh i forget the name of it there's people have been finding a lot of these uh men around water right like like they like they're being drowned and everyone's like they're being murdered what if they are just committing suicide randomly but it's not just it's not them choosing to do it. It's that they were out there. Whatever they did made them vulnerable. Mm. And so these things happen. We see in the story, uh, you know, oftentimes they're called, uh, it's called the story of the lunatic in the Bible, about a, a young man who was possessed and would often throw himself into the fire, right? And people, a lot of times, actually, a lot of modern translations call him an epileptic. It's like, well, he was just having seizures. Mm. No, that's not what the text says. The text very specifically says he had a demon, and that demon led him to throw himself into the fire. He was trying to hurt the child or this young man. Right. We see that with the demoniac. He what did he do? He cut himself with sharp with sharp rocks. Why? Because he wanted because the demons the the legion wanted to hurt the human being. This is an old story. A lot of people who are uh, demon possessed oftentimes behave as if they're insane, and they will cause physical harm to themselves there's a lot of reasons for this and that we can talk about that if you'd like but the point is the idea that that a lot of people who go off and just start you know randomly it's like they're fine and then they spill their coffee next thing you know they're taking a hacksaw to their you know to their family and you're like whoa we seem to have missed a few steps or it's like you know it's like everyone's like i can't believe he committed suicide he seems so happy they're they're their friends like no he wasn't depressed everything seemed fine well why because he was fine except for the fact that he was that this that he or she was open to to this demonic presence and the demon found him at a very vulnerable time for what whatever that whatever that is right and took that extra step so i i do think that it's i think it's more about how they assault us rather than whether or not they are there right it's it's just it's it's there 
if you're willing to believe that they're there, then I think that then I think they're going to be way more willing to do something radical, right? Because right. you, you have nothing to lose. Yeah. But because again, like I said, every every person I knew who was not a Christian before a supernatural encounter and then became one was like, "Well, what happened? Well, I was playing with a Ouija board, which is usually <laughs> when things. It's like, by the way, no good story ever come ever starts off with, "Well, I had a Ouija board." Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> I. It's like there just is. I've never heard a story that starts off with well, we were playing with this Ouija board and then good things happen. It's always we we're yeah. It's like we we're playing with. Well, there was a story I read years ago in in Britain. This is entirely off topic, but it's it's okay. a funny story. It's so. The end result was, this guy was going to was being on the on the day this guy was being sentenced for animal cruelty. His house burned down, and his wife and and daughter were found in their garden, uh, covered in scratches. Mm. And you're like, okay, this is weird. What's going on here? You research a little bit, and you find out that what happened was, previously, their dog had died. And so they decided to hold a seance with a Ouija board for the dog. Mm. During the seance, this is the story that the guy gave to the police officer, the dog started talking. So they took, they cut up the dog and threw, and well, it, it was still talking while they cut it up. <laughs> threw it into the blender. Somehow the police found out and they get, the guy got charged with animal cruelty. Well, on the day that he's being sentenced, they decided, the wife and child decided to try and contact the dog again. And all we know is it ends up with them covered in scratches in the yard, in the garden, while the house is burning down. What the heck? Exactly. So here's my thing. The reason it stands out is because that was the day I was flipping through it on my phone and I just saw it. I read the whole thing. I'm like, well, it makes sense. I just kept moving on. Like, it's like it didn't strike me as odd. <laughs> and it was that moment that I'm like, huh, maybe I'm a little too comfortable with this whole world, with this whole thing. Because I'm like, that. I'm, I imagine most people would think that was a weird situation, but I'm not because I've had enough, I've heard enough stories of people who, who had these kind of encounters. I'm like, yeah, that's. Seems like a normal Ouija board experience to me, and I just kind of moved on with my, <laughs> with my life. But it was, it was like that was the story that sticks in my head because it was like, okay, you're in, you are in a whole new world now. Yeah. When you can look at that and be like, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> but, so again, it goes back to please don't play with Ouija boards. Like the, the paranormal is not something to play with. It does end ugly sometimes. Not every time, but oftentimes. Yeah, a lot more, a lot more often than. To like, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. So, yeah. oh, it is, it is insane. And yet, people still keep doing it. We keep selling, it. and we're like, hey, here's your witch starter kit, Sephora. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's, I guess, it's come down to curiosity. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people just kind of wanted to know if, I mean, they just want to know that of the that there's like actually a, a, the existence of evil, but they you know to want to know the if evil actually exists then you could have to think that you know the opposite would have to exist and you know for a lot of people they they just you know they just want to know you know they, they just don't know what what could actually happen you know from actually contacting mm-hmm. demons or any any other kind of things like that yeah um, especially if they don't believe you know like like we said in god or you know had any kind of experiences in the past so to them they're just like well i just want to see if it's real or not so you know, they jump they jump in head first and a lot of times it doesn't come out, you know? Yeah. You, 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 and you pay, yeah, you, you pay, you know what? You, you, you 
you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. prizes yep. You know, I mean, that's that's really what it comes down to. But I, so, yeah, I mean, the simple fact of the matter is, I think what we're seeing is it, it's a byproduct of our culture not being open to the paranormal, to the cryptozoological, to the supernatural, right? It's like we have it's this materialist Darwinian box. It's like not, it's like anything that calls this box in question is forbidden. Yeah. Well, as, as creatures, I mean, we are inquisitive by nature, so we're like, well, but what's on the other side of the box? Right. <laughs> So we're going to look. And so the problem is, and the problem is like even churches don't want to talk about this stuff. Nah. Like a lot, like half, most of the time I'm talking to a lot of people who I'm talking to who are having problems with like, um, shadow, you know, the shadow, shadow people or the sleep paralysis and stuff like that. They're like, well, I went to my pastor. He said I was crazy or I need to go see a psychiatrist. Or I'm like, you re I'm like, you, you claim to believe a book that talks about floating axe heads and talking donkeys and people raising from the dead. And you don't know what to do with this stuff. Like it's literally written down for you how to handle this. Like, I, I mean, I, I've helped a lot of people who've had problems with sleep paralysis and, and, and demonic interventions. And it's like, this isn't hard stuff to deal with. It's all literally written down. Like it's right there. Just if you read it, you'd be fine. Wow. But yeah, like even the church doesn't want to talk about it. So, so it's like, if, it's, it's sort of like the old story. Like when your parent, they're just like, look, you've got to talk to your kids about drugs and sex. Cause if not, they're going to learn about it from your, from your friends. Yeah. Right. And essentially that's what this is. is. It's like, as a society, we're like, we don't, you know, we don't want to talk about the paranormal or the cryptozoological. So where we found about, where we find out about it well, with our friends, <laughs> apparently at, apparently with their magic, witch set that they bought at Sephora. Yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate, but I mean, a lot of priests and a lot of people that are in the church today don't even believe in the devil and they don't, a lot of them yeah. aren't even Christian. So it's, you know, let that sink in for a lot of people. It's mm-hmm. yeah, so, yeah, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, you, you know, I would think back in the day, 50s, 60s and 70s, they would have like an exorcist and a lot of mm-hmm. dices, you know, like around the country, but now oh, yeah. it's, you can't even find on the West Coast, you can't find not even one, you know, let alone yeah. a handful, of, like anywhere throughout the country. So, mm-hmm. you know, oh, and, and, and what's funny is the Catholic Church is begging for them. They're like, we've got more business than we know what to do with. Yeah. And so they're even reaching out to other denominations, like, look, we will teach you how to handle this stuff. And I'm over here, like, guys, it's not that hard. <laughs> like, it really isn't that hard to deal with. Like, there's a, like, don't get me wrong, there's some that are really, you know, takes a lot of work, but nine times out of 10, this is an easy fix. You know, it's not that hard, but the yeah. point still stands. Our yeah. culture doesn't want to talk about this stuff. And so it goes unspoken. And I think there's a lot of people who, for whom their lives have been damaged by whether it's a paranormal encounter or a cryptozoological encounter. Right. I know people whose, whose lives were ruined because they saw Bigfoot mm-hmm. because it's scared because it terrified them. They, um, uh, actually, I don't want to, I, I, don't know if I want to use his name online, uh, but he, he, you know, he, there was a gentleman who was really terrified by the encounter that he had. And it, I mean, basically gave him PTSD. And this is a very common story. Um, carryover Bigfoot Odyssey. He had, he tells a story. It's very similar to that, that he was out hunting and this thing stands out and he screams at him. And he, he talks about his face contorting. It terrified him. And then they started harassing him. Because once they, it's like once they let you know they're there, again, you know, again, I'm I'm assuming that Bigfoot, at least, you know, the actual physical Bigfoot is a physical thing. 
But it's like once their cover's blown, they'll harass you. Yeah. And he has and he has PTSD. There's a lot of people who've encountered Bigfoot or some of these other creatures that have PTSD because of the nature of the encounter. Yeah. But they can't, it's ruin people's lives have been ruined because they're like I, they try and tell somebody about what's happening to them and and everyone looks at them like they're crazy. Mm. Yeah. Because like, well, Bigfoot's not real. Well, guess oh, yeah. what? It really <laughs> is. And the problem is he's kind of a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, from I mean, from like what I hear, there's people like in both camps right a lot of them will say that they had like an encounter and everything was fine and you know they were nice and things like that but then on the other hand if a lot of the people that are watching right now you remember our first interview with dark waters um we had that story about um that i guess real estate agent went into this house where they were trying to sell the house and the house was still like when the people who lived in it prior were still living there like all their belongings were still there and everything and it looked like they just got up one day and just walked out of the house without without anything and the lady looked out the back window and there was a bigfoot standing at the back door looking through the glass at her um and then one of the guys they think um i guess one of her partners that she was working with actually went to the house as well and he went up on the roof and he found a human thumb in the gutter with a bunch of shotgun shells. So he was thinking that whoever was at the house, whoever wow. owned the house made a last stand or something on the roof. Cause there was, uh-huh. there was shotgun shells all in the gutter, all on the roof and like all around the house. So they either came down from, you know, from the woods, wherever they were up into the house and took the family or the family got out of there before they came. But either way, Something someone major, some yeah something so, someone lost a thumb over that yeah something something major happened i mean yeah i mean stuff like that it's, it's crazy so here's my this is what i hate is like you hear, you hear these stories and you're like it's like these people are shaken and you're like why can't we get a good photograph of these things right yeah and this goes back to my whole question is like what if there are multiple types like there's the actual physical bigfoot but then there's paranormal bigfoot who knows what like what if it's not actually bigfoot it's a paranormal creature just we call it bigfoot because it kind of looks like a sasquatch right right? but what if these are two different things right so it's like there's a physical thing that's walking around just being an ape but then there's this other thing that's out there it's paranormal it is evil it does have intentions towards us like like maybe that's what's happening here and this is um i was just talking to the guys over at uh, true horror stories of texas and they had a story about what they originally sort of described as a dog man, but it had goat feet and like hooves. Hmm. And I'm like, okay, it's like, don't get me wrong, dog man's weird enough on its own, but now, you, <laughs> but now it's 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 dog goat man, like goat dog man. Like, like, what do we do with this? And it's like, you know, it's it would be easy to write all this off as crazy, except yeah i mean every once in a while you run across enough physical evidence you're like okay something happened here this is not you know this is not just everyone making up stories there people are being hurt by this stuff so yeah i mean again i I think the problem is the world's bigger than we want it to be Hmm. oftentimes again like i said i'd be real happy if i found out bigfoot's just an ape like (laughs) that makes like if everyone else is crazy and he's just an ape that's out there just doing his thing he just doesn't want to be bothered great i'm happy but i'm but at this point i gotta ask like what's this other stuff like there's some of this 
stuff that's connected to UFOs and they're clearly antagonistic towards you. It's like, hold up. There's this other stuff that's going on. We've got to address it as well. Again, this is far afield the book, except to say that the book does talk about, if you live in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, you have reason to keep your eyes open. Yeah. Definitely. You know, stop and smell the blue bonnets. Just a little bit. Pay attention. <laughs> you know, just, just be a little bit more aware, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, and everybody out there, speaking of the book, uh, Metroplex Monsters, Dallas Demons, Fort Worth Goatmen, and Other Terrors of the Trinity River. You can find that book on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com as well. We'll have those linked down in the description as well. Um, also, as we wrap up here, um, sir, can you also let us know when you're going to be on? I you just mentioned that you were on, like, on another YouTube channel as well. Is, it, is that the same one from earlier? Yeah, Texas Front Porch. Yeah, I'm on every Monday at 6.30 Central Standard. Okay, Central Standard Time. Yeah, so we'll have all the links below because I know you sent on all those over to us as well. Everybody, um, those will be linked down in the show notes as well. We'll have those linked. Um, and I guess, do you have like any other plans, sir, for like another book or anything like that? Or is this kind of... <laughs> well, honestly, um, I'm really just trying to get through this, uh, through this right now. Unfortunately, it works really crazy right now and yeah. I've got some other projects I need to resolve. Um, I actually am thinking about doing once this is all sort of settled down, maybe spring of next year, uh, doing a, a follow-up to my, uh, to a booklet. It's more of a booklet I wrote uh, like two years ago. It's called How UFOs and Bigfoot Proved the Bible is True. Hmm. Um, and so I, I may just, I may do a follow-up on that because it seems like every, no matter what I do, all of these, like I'm, I'm, I'm talking about, I'm trying to go talk about Metroplex monsters and about the fact that you can find a Bigfoot next to your Waterburger. Right. And everyone's like, but, but how does God factor into this? And I'm like, okay, I get with it. Okay, I get it. I, you know what? I call myself a biblical paranormal researcher for a reason. And it is, and that seems to be the thing everyone wants to talk about. So uh, I, I think I'm going to do a, a follow-up, more of an expansion of that book. Right. Um, I have another book, sort of a compilation of these other books I wrote. It's called uh, 27, The 2017 and Beyond Tetralogy. It's about eschatology. Um, and some things, and a lot of, and what's funny is a lot of things that are happening now, I wrote about in the book back in 2014. Right. So I'm going to do probably an expansion of uh, how UFOs and Bigfoot through the Bible is true. And then maybe re, you know, update that other book as well, probably next year. Okay. Sounds good. Well, we're definitely looking out for that in the future then. Um, but definitely everybody, please go ahead and jump on that book that we have linked down below as well. Um, and also the YouTube channel um, every Monday as well. Um, 6 to 6.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. Uh, we'll have this link down below so everybody can go ahead and take a look. But uh, Mr. McLean, I really appreciate your time, sir. Um, and we had some, some great stories. And we'll definitely be looking out for those books as well in the future, any future projects as well. But um, really appreciate your time. Thank you. I appreciate you, Paul, man. Let me know if you ever have any, if you want to have me back, I'll be happy to talk about, you know, Whataburger and Bigfoot. Or... <laughs> <laughs> definitely have to have you back for the the whole God exactly. theory and where that all fits in, but uh, yeah, definitely be good. Yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll keep in touch and we'll definitely have you back on. Um, Cause I, I want to say there's more questions and answers here. And um, I have a whole bunch of questions for the future. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I love questions. So ask, ask away. Yeah, definitely. We'll have to have you back on then. And then we'll do it again, hopefully uh, real soon. And um, you're actually not too far from me. So hopefully we get something going there as well, but um, I'm out here closer to rock wall but it's not too far 
Um, but yeah, everybody, uh, we really appreciate you guys' time. Uh, we appreciate everybody stopping in as well. Like I mentioned before, if you guys are watching us on YouTube right now, please hit that subscribe button for us and the bell icon as well. Uh, if you guys are on the go, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, as well as iHeartRadio at Truth Defender Podcast. We'll have all of our social media linked down below as well. Um, and like I mentioned before, if you guys have any questions for myself or comments for myself or our guests, uh, you can reach us on thetruthdefender1776 at gmail.com. Uh, really appreciate you guys stopping in. Like I mentioned before, um, everybody stay safe out there. Stay blessed and stay frosty, everybody. Mm-hmm.